Hey everyone, welcome back to SEL Convergence. Now, as you may know, this podcast is geared mainly towards educators. And one of the things you hear about schools a lot is that it's helping to prepare kids for the real world. Well, the real world doesn't always wait for kids to finish school before they have to deal with it. So I think you're going to be really interested with today's guest because we are going to be talking a lot about the real world and how that's affecting our kids. Tom, take us away. Thanks, Mike. My friends, I have a a wonderful, wonderful man, tremendous educational leader, respected all over our region, Dr. Jim Scanlon. Hi, Jim. Thanks for being with us. Hey, Tom, how are you? It's great to be here with you tonight. I am great. I am doing great. So we're going to talk about this topic of equity. Jim, can you start us off? Uh, Why is equity such a volatile issue right now? That's a great question. And I I mean, short answer is, I guess, because of politics have gotten involved. But but uh, politics and equity have been around for a long, long time since since even before the uh, Revolutionary War. Uh, But, uh, you know, racism has been a reality in our country for for more than 400 years. And if you look at some of the history books and and what's written about it, some of the first slaves came over back uh, when the colonies were forming back in Jamestown and uh, in Virginia back in 1619. And they they were brought over. In fact, I think there were 20 of them that that uh, that began uh, that came over to help the colonies survive. They needed they needed some workers to to help work the the, the farms and the fields, and uh, and and they were seized from a, a Portuguese slave ship. Uh, 20, uh, 20 slaves. They were the first slaves in America in 1619. So the idea of slavery in the United States is as old as we are in this country, as old as our country. And uh, we, we, we look at the Declaration of Independence as this beautiful document, and I believe it is. And it was written in part by Thomas Jefferson. And Jefferson had a unique relationship with uh, his slaves. He, he did. In fact, uh, I think there were uh, only two of the first 12 presidents owned, actually owned slaves in America, uh, including George Washington. I think he owned 100 slaves. Uh, Jefferson owned the most slaves. He owned over 600 slaves during his time at Monticello. Uh, he also had uh, six children with one of the slaves. So he, in fact, had uh, had children of color, uh, the children of color uh, at Monticello, because they were black, uh, even though they were his own kids, they had to live in the slave quarters. And even his own kids were, were in fact, slaves of the 600 slaves that, that Jefferson owned uh, in his lifetime. He only freed 10 of them and, mm. and six were his kids. Wow. Uh, one was uh, uh, was the, the slave that he had the children with. And uh, and then there were some relatives of, of hers that were freed. So of the 600, he uh, I think he sold 200 of them. Um, and Jefferson, when he died, he, he died actually somewhat broke. And uh, and and the slaves were sold as part of ownership uh, of liquidating the property. So they were they were considered property of Jefferson. So even though Jefferson writes that all men are created equal, uh, he didn't live that way. Well, he he did he did not he and he did and he did write uh, and was certainly part of the Declaration of Independence, um, and and he he wrote in some of his writings uh, to the state of Virginia that uh, he, you know he he made some legislative attempts to to uh, to stop slavery and at times he bemoaned its existence, but he profited directly from from slavery as an institution. 
Uh, and he wrote uh, also he wrote that he suspected black people to be inferior to white people. Yeah. He, he didn't think there was enough political willpower to eliminate slavery. It was a part of, of American uh, history and America culture at the time. Uh, so so even though he he believed all men were created equal. And in fact, at the time, it was men because uh, women's rights didn't come till later as well. Uh, but but particularly, it was it was really all white men were created equal is 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 what the tenets of that were were happening uh, with with reality. But uh, I think Jefferson, even though he was against slavery, uh, he, his actions certainly did not uh, he didn't show anything against it. Now, John Adams and John Quincy Adams did not own slaves. They were the only two of the first 12 that did not own mm -hmm. slaves. And they believe they, they shouldn't own people. Uh, and their actions were, were a little bit different than, than Jefferson. Mm -hmm. So we take that history, we take our history, our nation's history, and we fast forward to today. And, and the, the topic that I hear in every school district that I work in, the topic that I hear out to dinner with my in-laws is critical race theory. Uh, so, so what is critical race theory, Jim? Yeah, critical race theory is really a, it's a concept, an academic theory. Uh, it, it's more than forty years old. It's 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 the main theory that uh, that racism is embedded in our legal system and our policies, uh, and it's just a product. It's not just a product of any one person's bias or prejudice. Um, there's lots of components of critical race theory that that are getting all blended together. Uh, some people think it's controversial. There's concerns about whether it's being taught in schools. That has swept the country uh, over the last uh, year and a half. Uh, critical race theory should not be confused with the fact that, that race and other identifiers had a historical impact in our country. For example, history really can't be taught uh, without, without talking about uh, gender identity or ethnicity, race, religion. Uh, ability, disability, when you talk about uh, uh, special education students and special needs children, uh, social systems that have impacted citizens, the American Revolution, Civil War, uh, very hard to, to not talk about race and its impact uh, when, you, when you're teaching the Civil War. Women's suffrage, uh, suffrage is American Disabilities Act, uh, again, for, for special needs children. You know, the National Council of Social Studies that was established in 1921 endorses the teaching of all of these issues as, as part of history. So this idea, this, this backlash against critical race theory, when did that, when did that all begin? <laughs> I think there's always been a backlash. I mean, you can go back to, I guess, the Ku Klux Klan and, and, right. and all the, you know, all the right. protests, uh, right. race riots in the 60s. Uh, anytime there has been this, uh, you know, this push to, to uh, uh, push against white dominance and white power. Uh, for equality and equal rights, there, there's always been this push. But I guess the last couple of years, some some people might say that you know, newscaster Tucker, Car Tucker Carlson uh, had something to do to start the movement, and he used the media outlet uh, to spread the word that all the work regarding equity is part of critical race theory. And you can read some of some of his statements uh, about uh, DEI, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, and and uh, you know that all these are different components of critical race theory and. And in fact, schools, when you talk about inclusion, have been have been working with uh, with special needs children to include them in the classroom for many, many years. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, that goes back to uh, the early 80s uh, when all that began and 90s when there were some court decisions for for inclusion, inclusionary education. So 
I'm not sure how you can mix all of that up into this this whole topic of critical race theory, but uh, there there's there's board meetings have been contentious. They've become very volatile. Uh, there you see police presence at, at school board meetings, local board meetings. Now they're now part of school board elections. Uh, that that they that school districts are being accused of indoctrinating kids on critical race theory. Uh, I don't think any school district is doing that. I, I know the ones I've worked with and worked around are not teaching critical race theory. Mm-hmm. Um, do we teach about race uh, when it's appropriate in the curriculum? Yeah, but mm-hmm. but uh, at least the public schools in Pennsylvania have to follow the you know the the, the state standards, and mm-hmm. critical race theory is not part of those state standards. Mm-hmm. So we teach history. We do. We, we teach history. And, and I think when you look at different lenses in history, uh, you can have some very, very good discussions. Just as just as we teach politics uh, and the different political elections, um, you know, some people can uh, talk about uh, socialized teachers, for example, can have these discussions, uh, particularly during election time uh, or, or during impeachment time. There was a lot of controversy mm-hmm. about talking about the Trump impeachment and right. you know, teachers are talking about that impeachment versus the Clinton impeachment versus the the Nixon impeachment, mm-hmm. and you can look at you can compare those as to how they're uh, how they're different and mm-hmm. and how they came about, and you can look at the facts in each impeachment case, uh, and then you're really not just picking on one president, but you got to kind of compare. So uh, you got to teach history with with the political lens. You got to teach history, I think, with the equity lens, uh, and, and the impact that that had. Uh, and to some extent, the religious lens as well. When you look at wars, I mean, a lot of wars are when you look at the, the base of them is, is based on religion. So um, I think teachers, uh, history teachers tend to be better at it than than particularly elementary or middle school teachers that may not be well versed in history. But uh, but it, it can be it can be tricky and teachers can get caught in the crossfire with all the politics with with critical race theory right now. Jim, as a school administrator. And, and you've had time in, in a variety of school districts, but also as a school leader who's now, I'm, I'm sure, consulting with many school districts. What kind of pressure is on our teachers today? And, and what's the impact coming at coming out of a, a pandemic for two years, additional pressure around these topics? I, I think uh, I see teachers in the classroom becoming afraid to talk about race uh, in the classroom for, for some fear of retaliation against them. Mm. You know, they're not sure if they'll say the right thing. They don't want to offend somebody. Um, so they're caught between answering a question in their class. You know, when, when a, a student of color might ask a teacher, why were black people told to sit in the back of the bus? And a teacher may know the answer to that and, and can talk, certainly talk about Rosa Parks and civil rights movement and the, right. and the bus boycott, which is all part of history. It's right. very well documented. Or, or maybe not because, well, if I start talking about that, am I going to be accused of teaching critical race theory and are parents going to, going to report that to the principal and the school board? And does that just become a big lightning rod? So, so I think teachers are, are, are faced with uh, answering questions of fact. They want to help their kids and they want, to, they want their kids to learn the facts versus ignoring the question and just tell them that they're really not permitted to talk about that or, or change the subject and, and, and move along. And I think teachers are, are more and more going to be faced with that. Uh, I mean, you look around the, the country, and I think there's some 26 states that have already passed or, or have some, some kind of written legislation for schools not to teach about race or racism in the classrooms. And, and, and what's next if, if, if that happens? I mean, racism is it, it's real. I mean, it, it, it's, been, it's been going on as a, for 400 years as we started talking earlier in the beginning of this, this right. podcast. So 
it's 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 a it's going to be very difficult for teachers, I think, to 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 walk that that fine line, and it's going to require some some very good planning on parts of school districts, uh, some some good messaging, uh, stay the course, and make sure that that you're teaching facts and and not not being sucked into the politics of it all. So as I listen to you, uh, what I heard is that a number of our educators are afraid. Uh, yeah, justi- I, I, justifiably so. I think so, and and I think last year uh, when when you looked at some of the the top uh, professions where uh, people were leaving, um, not not simply just because of retirement age, but be- they were leaving before retirement age, right. just just leaving. I think healthcare was was one of the top, and uh, and educators were another one. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the the pandemic had something to do with that, but you put that on top of all the all the political ping-ponging back and forth with this critical race theory argument. And I, and I think people are just, uh, they just don't want to deal with it. And, and, and we're, you know, we're going to see a significant shortage. You know, the district that, that I retired from in August hired 121 teachers this year. Wow. My 12 years as superintendent in, in Westchester Area School District. I mean, we usually do 50 or 60 new teachers a year between long-term substitutes and retirees. That was, that was double what mm-hmm. we typically would see. Um, and I think it's it's pandemic, and I think it's uh, it, it's it's the pressure that that was seen at some of the school board meetings mm-hmm. with regard to critical race theory that mm-hmm. that just put people out. I know that that as as I am out in the world and my my arena is predominantly social emotional learning, I'm finding that social emotional learning is getting lumped into critical race theory, uh, along with diversity, equity, inclusion, and access, and also trauma informed care. Uh, Help help us understand that. Yeah, sadly, all, all of that is is being lumped into the whole idea of of, of critical race theory, uh, social emotional learning. I, I, I'm not. I can't make a connection there. I mean, there, if, if you if you're not working with uh, the emotional aspect of children or the social aspect of children, um, you know, they 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 can be they can be in pain. Trauma informed care, same way. I mean, right. the, the state of Pennsylvania uh, two years ago mandated that all educators be trained in trauma-informed care and recognize when kids are, are experiencing trauma. Uh, and, and, and I'm not sure why that's all being lumped into this whole notion mm-hmm. of critical race theory. Uh, you have a state mandate to, to do the training, um, and, and it's all done for the good of kids to try to catch them before uh, they, have, they have suicide ideation or before mm-hmm. they start to hurt themselves or before they might hurt somebody else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if, if teachers and, and administrators and instructional assistants and bus drivers and everybody that comes in contact with kids are, are more informed on what that trauma looks like, we can actually get kids help. So yeah. I, I'm not sure why that gets lumped in, but that gets lumped in. So, so when, when school districts are talking about social emotional learning plans or trauma informed plans, and, and of course, Tom, you do great work in those, in those areas with school districts around the country. Uh, it, it's, it's a shame that the politics would circle around that but I think it's important for school districts to continue with that good work and, and just try to ignore some of that noise. But, but you got to make sure that everybody's aligned. You got to make sure your school board is informed. You have to make sure your superintendent's informed. Uh, you got to make sure that if you're if there's anything that you want to send out at a building level uh, or, or the classroom level, make sure you're, you're checking. If, if you think it might be controversial, check with the principal, check with the superintendent, make sure that you have alignment in, this, in the school district. Uh, to try to help with some of that messaging, but yeah, that I don't, that that those two things get get associated with critical race theory. Um, but again, 
CRT is that whole theory that that racism is embedded in our legal systems and policies and not a product of someone's bias. Mm -hmm. And and I I just don't, I'm not sure where that connection gets made, but it sure is. It is being thrown out there with a lot of misinformation, which is, which is somewhat sad. Jim, talk to us about your recommendations Uh, and let's, let's go top down. You mentioned school board and alignment. Let's start there. Well, again, I think school boards, administrators, and teachers, they, they, they need to stick to, to the facts when talking about race. And, uh, you know, race, when, when kids have questions about that, it, it, it's difficult to skirt those questions. Uh, if you have a teacher of color in a classroom that, that, that wants to address that question, but uh, a white teacher may not, you're going to have different, you know, different uh, responses to, to a question that might come from a child of color. And I think it's important to be aligned on, on, on what will be appropriate responses uh, for teachers. And I think they need to work closely with their, with their principal, their superintendent, and superintendents obviously need to work closely with the school boards, because ultimately this is where all the, uh, the battleground is at, at, mm-hmm. you know, at, this, at the school board level. So it's got to be done in a factual way. Otherwise, the politics will continue to burn out a, a very fragile uh, teaching staff. Uh, with with more stress, and they already have a lot of stress on them with with the back end of this this pandemic going on. So, um, administrators need to help with that process. Uh, school boards need to try to help with that process. They got to find ways to create more planning time for teachers, establish some mental health breaks for teachers. You got to find time to reduce stress. Uh, teachers with the if you have uh, uh, the professional learning community set up in the schools, you need to let those PLCs. Um, do some dialogue and discussion about, about how they're infusing any of this uh, in, in their discussions, if it comes up, and, and what are they teaching with their curriculum, and, and again, sticking to the facts, so that when, when um, the controversy comes up or their question, they can actually go back to the facts and, and go back to the state standards and their curriculum that they're teaching. So I, th- I think that's important um, uh, to, to make sure that that happens, too. You mentioned mental health breaks for educators. What does that look like? I think uh, I mean you got to be okay with a mental health day, um, okay. and okay. and that creates other issues because there's substitute shortages to try to get subs to fill yes. in. Uh, you know, school districts are becoming very creative, uh, and, and everybody. I mean, uh, Wissahickon to Westchester to and anywhere in between, there there there's you know, there's there's sub shortages out there, but. You got you to be able to uh, let your teachers have a little bit of a mental health break. Um, think professional development. Sometimes we, we over we over uh, subscribe some of the professional development and mm-hmm. teachers may just need some time on those professional mm-hmm. development days to, you know, to reflect and sit with their teams in their schools. I think that is becoming critically important. Um, having dialogue K to 12 is critically important. Um, and, and, you know, we got to be careful with how much we over prescribe with, with some of our professional development, particularly now, uh, until we, until we get through the, the back end of, of the pandemic and this, uh, you know, in this movement with critical race theory, I think it will eventually, uh, slow down and, uh, you know, much like the, the tea party in, in 2009 and 10, there was a big movement and a wave and, and, and the tea party kind of did a five or six year stint and then they kind of slowed down. Um, I, I think we'll see we'll we'll see a similar thing happen here. But uh, at the end of the at the end of the battle, we got to find out who's still standing and and what are you know pick up the pieces and and make sure that we're still educating children the best that we can. Jim, what are some things that educators, 
superintendents, principals, teachers, what are some things that we can do to better partner with parents on equity issues? I, I think I think you got to you got to bring the parents into the conversation. Uh, some districts are having these um, these community conversations uh, about race, uh, about what they're teaching, and I and I think I think it's important to uh, to bring the parents in, especially when there's misinformation out. And social media is just a, a great a great place to to harvest and and send all that misinformation. So it's important to to combat that with facts and 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 you know have your own. Um, talking points available. Put everything out there on, on the website. Make it available for parents, and and they can they can go to it. it takes takes a lot of heat off the teachers. Hey, look, you you want to learn about equity? Go to our equity page, and you'll see all the information. You'll see our mission. You'll see our history. You'll see whatever it is you have out there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to you know to document all of that, and then uh, and then parents can can certainly come to you know come to their own conclusions. I think districts also need to see the potholes in the roads ahead. Uh, and and be sure that again announcements and these these communications are age appropriate and and don't create a stir that you don't need to create just because it is not at at an at an appropriate level um, and and teachers also need to again be in line with their principals and and, and district office and, and school boards so that if if every if the whole place you know 1200 1500 800 600 how many ever staff you have in your school district depending on your size if everybody is, is, is singing the same song and, and on the same page, it makes it kind of much more difficult to, to throw out all that misinformation when, when no matter who you ask, you get a similar response about whatever the question may be, whether it's equity, whether it's a, a curriculum, whether it's politics. Uh, I, I think it's important to have that alignment. I know that as we talk about partnering with parents, one of the things that you've uh, done incredibly well is create a sense of community. You've worked with community leaders, you've worked with parent organizations to really be in alignment, to use your earlier word, with, with all of these topics in a school district. Tell us, tell our listeners more about your connection with community. Yeah, and, and so one of, in my 12 years as a superintendent in Westchester, um, and in fact, in the other two places I was superintendent as well in Delaware and also up in Quakertown uh, in Northern Bucks County. Uh, I made it a point to, if you had big decisions to be had, to involve parents in those decisions. Um, you got to get input and feedback, uh, put the parameters out there that, that clearly let them know that, look, we need information from you. Ultimately, I've got to make the decision and recommendation to the school board, but we want to make sure that we, we, we do a complete analysis, whether it's a school district redistricting plan, uh, where I've done four of those big committees in different districts. Uh, one district, we moved 7,200 children which was wow. a big, big plan. Um, uh, that district, by the way, uh, we were going to move some of the uh, high school kids. It was a desegregated uh, plan in the city of Wilmington and Delaware. And it was the high school kids, the voice of the high school kids uh, that I met with that I, that I moved. I did not move the high school kids uh, out of the feeders because it was black, white, brown mm-hmm. kids. Uh, they met with me and they said, don't take my friends away. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, it was, it was a, very powerful moment for the voice of kids in that process. So you got to have kids involved in that process as well as parents. Uh, budget task force, when we've had difficult budget decisions back in the, you know, the early 2010s, um, we, had to, we had to find $8 million in budget cuts. And I wanted to make sure that we, we had vetted everything that we were possibly going to do working as far away from the classroom as we could. So that when uh, time came for the school board to make those cuts and a new board came on, 
very soon after those committees were done. Uh, and those, those new board members as community members were on those committees. So they were well-versed in, in, in all the cuts. So when the cuts had to come and the reductions had to be made, there were no surprises to the community and it wasn't a big controversial loud meeting. So the community will, will step up and help uh, with, with regard to equity. I've been meeting uh, with uh, our, our um, religious and black and brown leaders and Latino leaders in the community for years. And I want to make sure that I have their perspective because of the number of children that we serve, number of minority children that we were serving, and make sure that we had their perspective. So whenever equity topics would come up, they were very good to step up and, and, and speak on behalf of, of how we were handling some of the things and how we were educating the children, uh, particularly children of color. So uh, it's important to give facts to people. It's important to have those those face-to-face conversations, and it's important to bring them into the into the conversation and, and uh I think that helps. Um, doesn't always eliminate uh, controversy, but it certainly helps navigate it when you have it. Jim, one of the things I'm hearing right now is the importance of developing relationships with various groups, various organizations, various community leaders. Talk more about that re- that relationship building. Yeah, there's so many relationships that you have to build. Uh, first, you got to build them internally with your staff, and and I think that that is critically important. Um, I've seen districts uh, make a mistake where they're sending information out into their communities. And, and Tom, as you know, my, my wife is, is, is a communications consultant, and I learned a lot from her over the years as well. If I did something wrong in communications, I, I heard about it. So uh, you, got, you got to work with your internal audiences first. And I think it's important to um, let your internal people know what some of the decisions are going to be or what some of the committees are going to be or, or where, where, what, the, what the problem is going to be. Because what happens in a parent conference or a parent email, I mean, teachers become uh, ambassadors for the school district, uh, and it's important for them to have talking points if, if something comes up. They say, oh, I don't know that, you know, that's just something the district office is working on. When, when you guys find out, we'll find out, too. Um, that, that doesn't bode well for, for school systems, I think. So the internal audience, you have to build those relationships with your, with your staff, uh, not just your teachers, but your administrators and your instructional assistants. Uh, bus drivers, food service workers, they're all part of that. They're all having you know, conversations and they're all members of this community. Uh, you got to make sure that you, you do that first. Uh, the business community is another big group to, to engage with. Uh, and you know, we were very fortunate to be part in Westchester of three different chambers of commerce. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was important that we were members of those, those mm-hmm. three chambers and on various different committees. Uh, I think you got to look for the, the key stakeholders in your, mm-hmm. in your communities, typically YMCAs or, or mm-hmm. ha, if you have a hospital in your yeah. community, yeah. Uh, those are, those are connectors in the community that have a lot of access to a lot of our parents and our kids and providing services to, to our, to our children as well. Uh, they're really important people to, to connect with. Uh, religious leaders are, are important. And I know you got to be careful with, you know, the, the separation mm-hmm. of church mm-hmm. and state, but, but religious leaders, you have, uh, most Wednesday nights in a lot of these communities is church night. Yeah. And, and you have, um, you know, church uh, youth groups going on and, mm-hmm. and those, those youth groups are connecting with kids in those churches. And I think it's important to, to, to reach out to, um, you know, the church leaders in your community to see what kinds of programs they're running. doesn't mean you have to go preach them or promote right. them. You can't really do that, but you have to have an understanding of that. And, uh, and, and, and it's a good way to, to get kids connected if they're a member of that church and they're not aware of a, of a youth group that's going on. So 
I mean, there's lots of different aspects of, of, of community leaders. You got to bring up, you got to bring the naysayers in as well. You got to hear mm. the, you got to hear the other voice on the other side. Uh, and if you don't bring them into the conversation, then they're going to come in, they're going to force their way in eventually. So I think it's important to, you know, to hear the, the different sides of different perspectives. Um, and, and they may not agree, but I think if you do it properly in terms of facilitating these groups, uh, there will be some respect for the process and ultimately decision that will have to be made, which uh, when you're involving big groups of people, it sounds like there's going to be a, a pretty big decision that's going to need to be made. So I think it's important to hear all perspectives and, and, and put, you know, put all that information out as much as you can um, to your community and be very transparent. So let, let's talk about naysayers for a minute. And I, I want to look at two, ask you to look at two perspectives. One, uh, I certainly understand the, the need to listen uh, to the naysayer. And I want to hear about your thoughts there. But then I also want you to go to this place. If you are at a school board meeting, if you're in a leadership role, and now it's beyond the naysayer. Now it's, uh, it's a pretty volatile, uh, uh, some hate in that language at a school board meeting. Uh, first of all, talk to us about listening and, and really helping to connect with those naysayers, but then take us to the place where many school boards are at right now. Yeah. Well, and, and maybe naysayers, Tom, is a bad term. It's, it's, a, it's another perspective, somebody okay. with a different perspective. Um, they may not believe what, what I believe, but I might not believe what they believe. But, so we have two very different perspectives. So mm-hmm. um, when you get to the point where uh, a school board meeting is not the time to engage in a dialogue, and, and I think there's misinformation or a misunderstanding about what the role of a school board meeting is. Some, mm. some community members will come out, they'll ask questions and they'll demand answers. And you really only have two minutes for public comment or three minutes, whatever your board policy says. And it's really time to make a comment to the board. And, and I think when you see those things as, a, as an educational leader uh, happening at your board meetings, okay, look, we need to have a community conversation. So let's set up a separate, a separate meeting that is not a school board meeting. And we can we can all have our opinions shared and, and facilitate those. So I so I think it's important to do that. I think when when you get into arguing at school board meetings or you get into shouting matches at school board meetings, nothing good comes out of that. Uh, it becomes good social media feeds, right. and, and you know, and 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 the talk of the the next morning about what happened at a, at a school board meeting. That's going on all over the country, and right. and, and sadly, there's people are feeding into that. I think it's. It's easier, easy to say to try to ignore it and just reiterate or rephrase what you're hearing, take their names, uh, and then set up a, a, a community conversation later on. That can be done in, in a more civil and cordial manner and not screaming. And you can get answers to your questions mm-hmm. because it's, it's not a formal school board meeting. It is a, it is a community conversation. So, so I think it's, it, it's important to, to do that and, and diffuse those at, at the public meetings. And then bring that conversation back to to an open forum where you can actually have a conversation. So if I heard you correctly, there is absolutely a time and a place in need for conversation and discussion, but that's either before and or after the school board meeting. Correct. Yeah, I I, I think you know some, something. I, I'm trying to look at this whole uh, DEI that that you know the, the diversity, equity, inclusion. I, I think I think we need to bring into these conversations a, a new DEI. Mm-hmm. And and it need to have we need to have dignity, we need to have ethics, and we need to have integrity. 
you know, the new DEI, dignity, ethics, mm-hmm. and integrity. And, and, and those are the kinds of conversations that'll be productive. Uh, some people don't want to do that, Tom. And, and, you know, some of these school boards are hearing from people around the country because right. it's almost like there's this cult that that's taking place and it, it, they, they don't really want to, they don't want to have a conversation. They just want to mm-hmm. shout and scream. And uh, I, th- I think a lot of the school boards, if you've got good uh, community relationships, you can, you can have those conversations in the community. Most of those loud screamers uh, from outside the district aren't going to show up because they, mm-hmm. they really don't, they really don't care what's going on in that community. They just want to be part of that, you know, that, 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 that bandwagon, if you will, mm-hmm. of, uh, of being nasty and screaming at people. So, but that's not how things are going to get done. Dignity, ethics, and integrity and conversations like that. I I think that's where the productivity will happen. So I love those three words, dignity, ethics, and integrity. Is that something we teach in school? Well, I think uh, when you talk to teachers, teachers uh, are very ethical. They, they, they have dignity with kids. They dignify responses when kids give a wrong, incorrect mm-hmm. response. They, they, mm-hmm. they dignify those responses not to embarrass, you know, embarrass the kids. Uh, and they have integrity in what, in what they're doing. You know, they're not in it to get rich. Right. And uh, they're, they're in it to help kids. And, and, and they've got to they've have integrity. So mm-hmm. I think we, we teach it by modeling. And I think we've got to continue to model those, uh, those, three, those three terms, particularly in this very volatile time. Can we also bring those terms to the school board? Uh, we can, and uh, I think uh, it's 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 uh, it, it's hard because as a school board member, you know, you're you're an elected official. Uh, board members in Pennsylvania do not get paid, so you go through all that chaos. Your your community members, you may have kids in the school system where you're a school board member, and you got to look at the impact on you know your own family. Um, and it's hard. It's hard to sit there and listen to some of that, and and and, and you just you got to bite your tongue. But I, I've seen. Uh, many videos of school board meetings where a school board member shouted back or school board member got up and stood up or because they just got to the point where they've had enough. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of the, you know, part of the plan is to, is to try to egg, egg these people on to get them upset. And uh, it's easier said than done. And I've, and I've been in those heated meetings. Mm-hmm. And I know how hard it is to maintain composure and, and, and not just want to rip somebody's head off. Mm-hmm. Um, but but once you do it, we, we used to tell our administrators all the time, look, you can't, you can't lose your cool once with a parent, not once. Mm. Because in today's day and age of social media, that's going to be all over. Mm. Uh, you're going to, whether it was deserved or not, um, you, ha- you have got to be above that and, and just maintain your cool. Step out of the meeting, call a colleague, scream and yell at your colleague, and then go back and finish the meeting. Like you got to have these, these avenues to try to, you know, to, to try to deal with it because it is really hard when someone's calling you a name. Yeah. You can certainly shut down meetings and I've seen that happen too. That's appropriate mm-hmm. uh, when they get out of control. Look, this is not, this meeting is, is, is not having, there's no dignity, there's no integrity. Uh, and, and, and there's a lot of rudeness here. We're going to shut this down. We're going to take a recess and come back or recess it to the next day. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's okay to do that rather than scream and yell back at people uh, that nothing good comes out of that. And it, and it just becomes, uh, again, social media feeds that, that become chaotic. I love, I love your thought about calling a colleague and, 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 and kind of debriefing and getting all that, that garbage off your shoulders with a colleague. Yeah, we, um, we used to have administrator meetings where we, we'd break up and, 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 and just vent to each other and then start the meeting, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
feels good, you know. Oh, absolutely. You don't, you you don't solve get, the problem, but you feel a little bit better about it. You've, you've got to get rid of day. that. You absolutely have to get have rid to. of that. You have, have to get to. rid of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So as as we start to close up, Jim, what are some closing some closing thoughts you have for fellow administrators and educators uh, in the classroom? Well, I think that uh, we, we got to remember that politics uh, in American schools has been around since 1776. And, um, you know, and our legislators have had the nasty discussions and they're going on now. They were going on during the Civil War. Uh, they were going on between the Revolutionary War and Civil War. They're going on during World War One. It, 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 it's not new. It really is not new. And it and it's I mean, it, it, it's exacerbated now because we now have social media where 25 years ago we did not have that. So it's much easier to push information out. So I think I think we got to remember that that the politics, you know, will be the politics. Don't get involved in the politics. Stick to the facts. Um, racism, it can't be legislated uh, in some of these places, I think, that are passing these laws. They're going to they're going to probably uh, when they go through the court systems be undone because I, you just can't you can't legislate um, racism or anti-racism either way. And you, and you have both sides. You've got people way on the left and people way on the right. Yeah. And the answer is really in the middle. You know, we're all, we're have all the moderates gone in, in our, in our yeah. political society today. And they're, yeah. they're gone and just disappeared. And uh, so you're either way, way to the left, way to the right. And I think, I think people are getting weary of all of that. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's like the big pendulum uh, as it swings by and it used to swing by every 10 years. Now it's swinging by every, every 10 minutes. Yes. And, and yes. just don't, just don't, don't put your head up or you're going to get it chopped off. And that thing goes by. It's like a swinging guillotine. So I think teachers, teachers need to be at peace with their teaching. Uh, they, they need to, um, they need to be comfortable with, with how to facilitate discussions. And I think that that school districts need to make sure that they're uh, preparing their teachers for, for some of that and, and not letting them get caught in the crossfire. It's hard enough to teach every day as under the best conditions and with all the with all the you know outside politics, I think teachers need to be as sheltered as we can from that. But they need to know what what's out there, and they're you know they're reading social media pages as well. Sure. Uh, so we need to give them the talking points, but but we also need to let them do their jobs and, and educate children uh, w- without all the chaos uh, that's that's going on, particularly at these at these school board meetings. So um, I think states again passing these laws that eliminate teaching of racism, they're going to find themselves uh, with a severe teacher shortage. If teachers are mandated to teach something mm-hmm. they don't want to teach or not teach something that they should be teaching, I think they're going to take a look and say, look, um, I have some integrity. And if this is the way we're going here, I'm going to go look and work somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And, and with teacher shortages right now, teachers are going to be able to, you know, to, to pick and choose where they, where they want to go. Maybe they want to go to another state that's, that's a little more moderate and not, not quite as uh, aggressive one way or another. Yeah. And I, I think teachers are going to, are going to be able to step up and, and have some of that say, and those districts are going to be in, uh, they're going to be in trouble in some of those states. I hope you're right, Jim. Thank you for this evening. We really appreciate it. Sure. It's my pleasure, Tom. It's always good to see you. Always good to see you, my friend. 